Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petri. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away three months ago. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to the Italian Social Services. If he is ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or even understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul at 518 Four seven four eight three nine zero. That's Governor Hochul. Five one eight four seven four eight three nine zero. And voice your concerns to keep Bradley here in these United States. Hashtag Keep Bradley Safe. I have a return guest on. I have Don McCarty. She was last on my podcast two week two years ago. And Don McCarty is the founder of Securing Everything, a cybersecurity company. And she is on a mission to help families stay safe online by transforming concerned parents into online safety ninjas. Dawn teaches concerned parents who have tech-savvy kids to understand that while their kids may be technology experts, they're not security experts. Therefore, Dawn supports parents and advocates for more parental oversight when it comes to their child's safety in the virtual world. With over 20 years of information and cybersecurity experience, Dawn works with parents to teach them how to protect their families from hidden online dangers. She is an international speaker, author, and educator who combines her education and her personal lived experiences to make her an authority on the subject. And how did all this happen, Dawn? I'm so glad to have you back on and... We have so much to talk about. Uh, you know, how did you become interested with the cyber bullying that's been going on? Well, that was such a great introduction. Thank you so much for that. And I almost have nothing left to say because oh no, everything. Ah, <laughs> uh. how I got here is definitely that's part of my overall story. So. You know, I was I was abducted as a child after being um, abandoned and estranged from one of my parents, and then when that abduction occurred, there was violence and you know severe violence that became part of my regular everyday life. And when I tried to talk about my story and I tried to share this with other people, they didn't believe me. They they just thought that is absurd because my story is absurd. <laughs> but oh, it's man. true and it's factual. And because they didn't believe me, I continued to feel abandoned and rejected, just like I did when I was li- you know, really young. So that, that feeling of abandonment and rejection just kind of took off from there. And being bullied by my peers, my mm-hmm. friends, people I went to church with, all kinds of different groups, even the people in the church didn't believe my story. So I constantly felt like I was the outcast and I was judged and bullied throughout my my life. And I didn't learn how to deal with conflict. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn how to set boundaries and I did not learn how to protect myself. So fast forward as I start raising my own children and unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize why I was doing it. I just had certain ideas of what I wanted to make sure my kids didn't suffer through. I wanted to make sure that they weren't offended by being called names. And Mm -hmm. so I called them names. I just called them, you know, they, they have their own little pet nicknames that I kind of desensitized them from worrying about that, that internal injury from when someone calls you a name or if someone doesn't believe you. Mm -hmm. So I kind of prepared my kids in a different way to face those challenges out there that kids deal with constantly. And I also decided to teach them how to be more independent and thinking critically. And I think that's a really important piece. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm grateful that I had the foresight somehow. And I think because I had access to some other women that were great mothers that helped me determine how to do that all subconsciously more than likely it wasn't like I had a plan it just kind of happened but because of all that it kind of led me into the world of criminal justice and I ended up getting Mm -hmm. 
two degrees in, in criminal justice, one on victimology and trying to understand yeah. the psychology of the victim's mindset. And that helped me in my own personal growth journey. And in that discovery is when I found out that my abduction wasn't funny. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a joke. It was actually a real event that caused a lot of harm and damage. And that's when I really started realizing that those lived experiences were valid. And I was now in college getting that validation. So it took me, I didn't start college until 2006. So it took me that long to find validation on my story. So as I started transitioning and going through that and getting those two degrees, I was also working in information security. Well, then the market tanked and I thought, oh my gosh, this is an unreliable field. I need to do something else. That kind of pushed me into that criminal justice field thinking criminals never go away. That's a, yeah. that's a stable field. Yeah. So I, yeah. <laughs> I went through it for the wrong reasons, but it actually enhances my abilities now when I combine those lived experiences, that educational piece, and my now 20-year cybersecurity professional um, experiences. When I can combine all of them together, that gives me a unique authority on the subjects that I talk about. So now, as you know, an adult today who has, I've done a lot of work on my healing, I understand a lot of the, the things that have taken place and, you know, healed from some of those wounds. I've, you know, I've, I've reunited with my biological father mm -hmm. and my brothers, and I now have living aunts and uncles, just as a side note. Um, so that was part of the journey, though, in, in healing. And now that I'm here, I realized, and it was really hard for me to admit this, but I realized now that all that crap that happened to me as a child, all that devastating abuse and violence mm -hmm. and nearly being killed by one of my step family members, it happened for me mm -hmm. and not to me. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, re I recognize it now as part of that purpose that I've kind of been brought into or kind of guided into somehow that I needed to have those experiences then so that when I'm working with people with the internet and online safety and cybersecurity, I have that knowledge. I understand what children are facing today in the online world. So it really kind of is beneficial that I have those experiences to be able to do that. So that's why I now say that those things happen for me instead of to me. And I can say that without <laughs> falling apart and bursting into tears. Oh. You know, it, it took a lot of time to be able to get to that that space. Um, but it really is powerful in mm -hmm. what we really need to deliver to the world and, and people that have any children online and what they need to know mm -hmm. and, and do themselves. So there, that's how I kind of got into that. That's, <laughs> that is a journey. That is... And I've yeah. said before, sometimes advocacy chooses you whether you like it or not. When I didn't know what my purpose was for so long and they, you know, going to church and whatnot, they're always telling you, yeah, you have a purpose. And I kept thinking, is my purpose a punching bag? Because mm. <laughs> I didn't know anything different as a kid. I was, you know, the, I had a lot of severe violence around me. So I didn't know how to look for a purpose and I didn't understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. So now I know what my purpose is, right? It's very clear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it took 2020 really to help me solidify that and mm -hmm. to be able to grasp it, embrace everything that happened mm -hmm. and use that as that powerful momentum to get me really going on the knowledge and experience, the expertise that I have. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have parents contacting you about their kid being online and maybe online too much and they're posting pictures and you know these kids are also being cyber bullied to the point where some of them have committed suicide over it yeah, and that's that's the hard part is parents are so concerned and what i focus on and this is what i call the the parent the transgenerational parenting gap in technology mm -hmm. because 
as parents, <clears throat> we usually take what we learned as kids from our parents, what they learned from their parents and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Technology didn't exist the way it does today when we were kids. So we cannot transfer or share that transgenerational knowledge. So mm-hmm. parents are kind of in this gap and they don't they don't have any way of tapping into that transgen- transgenerational expertise mm-hmm. to to share with their kids. Kids aren't seeing that as, you know, a family unit. Like when we go to grandma's house as kids, we see that dynamic. But today, grandma's wanting her grandson or granddaughter to help me fix my phone. Right. right? That's, that's so cute that, you know, my grandson knows all about it. I love it. I love huh? that there's that, that connection that they can make. However, this is one of the things that I say, mm-hmm. if they know more than you, then how can you protect them? And that's mm-hmm. where I, I bring in parents and wanting to help them, the concerned parents that have kids online, because there's so much that they need to know. And like you said in the introduction, children are great at technology. They're born with it. They almost teeth on it because as soon as they can grasp and hold on to something, we're handing them an electronic device. Mm-hmm. So we have to start from the time that they're capable of holding a device, teaching them how to be safe teaching parents how to keep those children safe, you know, because they need help in that, that area of security. They can make great technology decisions, but they cannot make great security decisions. And that's where parents really need to catch up for lack of a, you know, we, we just, right. the state that we're in is we got to get parents up to speed on how to protect their kids. Mm-hmm. Because you've got a lot of kids on TikTok and they're, dancing around and you know you see all these yeah. TikToks they're doing well and you said you said something about parents you know with with kids posting sometimes it's not the kids that are posting mm-hmm. sometimes it's the parents that are posting mm-hmm. and parents are i mean i i love the fact that we can share but we open it up to the world instead of just our little group mm-hmm. so there's we can't shut technology down and i'm not i'm not suggesting that we do I'm just suggesting that we do it in a safer way that's close to a close group of friends that we're sharing family related information. So you want close friends and family that you actually know, mm-hmm. not people that you've met online in a group where you can share those kinds of details about your kids, because that's kind of what we love about Facebook is sharing those life milestones and those precious moments and you know, that's, that's really great. We have an electronic way of scrapbooking these days. Yes. But when we open it up to just anybody and everybody, and we're accepting friends right and left, we don't know who we're sharing it with. And unfortunately, there's a lot of bad actors out there. And you'll hear me use the term bad actor quite a bit. And bad actor just encompasses, you know, really the cyber criminal, the bad act, the bad hackers. You know, we have black hats and white hats. We have good guys out there. But we also have a lot of bad hackers out there you know it could encompass you know the scam artists the catfish or you know the online predator that are going after our children so bad actor kind of covers all of that unless i'm specifically talking about one particular type of of uh, event that's occurring so right sometimes it's parents that are sharing too much information about their children and you, you may have seen in the news sometimes too where children are saying you know, I want my parents to stop sharing my you know, stuff about my life. It mm-hmm. should be up to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm talking about more of like the teens and tweens mm-hmm. age groups where to them it's embarrassing because <laughs> yeah. parents love to put all these little cute comments and they forget that this is open to even their peers when they're tagged and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things that we need to kind of hold back and, and re reevaluate what we're sharing online and how we're sharing it. I just don't think parents should be sharing baby pictures or any type of pictures of of their kids online because, you know, CPS is watching. That too. That's a whole other ballgame. So anything that you're posting, even if you're looking for a job, we've got HR representatives out there, recruiters that are watching your Facebook posts, your social media platforms, and looking for information on whether or not you may be a good fit to work for their company. And you've you've seen in the news where 
somebody got a scholarship for a college, an Ivy League college, and then lost it because of some picture that they put online 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's no statute of limitations to anything you put online. If it's discoverable, it could literally destroy that particular goal or event that you were you were loving and, and hoping to be a part of. And it's taken people out of jobs. It's taken people out of colleges. It's really it's really destructive downstream. Like mm-hmm. it might have been it might have been okay to do that at that particular point, but it's not a okay to do that in 10 years you don't know where you're going to be or what you're going to be doing so that's that piece where the kids are not mentally really capable of making those really big decisions especially when it starts security and being safe mm-hmm. what they do today could hurt them in 10 years so yeah that's, and who, who that's thinks that far ahead when you're 16 or 17 yeah, invincible at 16 yeah you're still you're still not fully mature until around the age of 25. So that brain piece that we use to make those critical decisions has not developed for these kids yet. Mm-hmm. They're just not capable of doing that unless we teach them. So we can teach them how to have that critical thinking. We can teach them what to be cautious of and how to analyze a situation but they're not going to learn it automatically until they're 25 when they when it starts becoming more common sense. Mm-hmm. And until it's common sense, we can't leave them to their own accord to just wing it and hopefully everything will turn out okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the parent is on their phone all the time, leaving the child to their own devices, literally. Yeah, it's, it's really become a distraction and we're all, you know, they talk about children's screen time. And yeah. their addiction, I want to talk to those parents about their screen time and their addiction. Because your kids are watching you and they're, re- they're repeating what you do. Mm-hmm. So that's where you've got to start setting that example first. If you don't want your kids to spend more than two hours a day on you know, playing games or screen time, then neither should you. You're going to have to follow those same rules that you're setting for them because they're watching you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do what you do, even if you set the rules differently. So to, for my courses that I teach when I work with parents is pretty much that authoritative parenting is kind of like it's it's really last century. We can't do that kind of parenting today and expect children to be safe online. So we I teach what's more of a collaborative parenting style where I bring the kids and the parents together and we create the security plan for their family, what works for them. But I expect parents to follow the same rules they're setting for the house because it's not a us versus them. It's not a parents versus kids. It's a security plan for the entire family. And there's age appropriateness in there. We build that in. But you can't just say, do as I say and not as I do anymore because they can go to Uncle Google or Aunt Alexa and get those answers if you're not willing to talk to talk to them about it. So unfortunately, those could also mean online predators who are in chat rooms talking mm-hmm. to your kids and pick up on that little bit of depression or anxiety or troubles at home and they will exploit that. They will exploit that with that child and that child will get the validation They'll get that love and affirmation that they, they may be seeking. Whatever it is that each child may need, those predators are really class acts when it comes to to being able to figure out what to say. And they're not in class, they're not classy at all. I'm not using that that phrase in mm-hmm. any sense of the word like that. But they're very skilled and they can zero in on that very quickly. So it's really important that today's parents are collaborative. And they're communicative. They need to be able to learn how to talk to their kids without the kids tuning them out or without saying, I know more than you about this, mom. Stop talking to me about it. We work with them so that they aren't running into those obstacles and they're not hitting that mm-hmm. that lack of um, engagement. So it's, it's kind of, it's difficult and it's it's also depends on each family dynamic. So everybody's at different levels. So there's not one Mm-hmm. cookie shit, you know, cookie cutter type solution. Mm-hmm. 
but we got to move out of that authoritative parenting and expecting our kids. You just be a kid. I'm the, I'm the adult here. We can't do that anymore because they'll go find someone else that mm -hmm. will fulfill what they're looking for. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, because, you know, Charles Manson was a master at that. Yes. And that, you know, you're talking about that emotional and psychological abuse there that this is what it's 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 warfare on these kids mm -hmm. that this is, these are tactics they intentionally use and their goal the the online predators goal is to meet that kid in real life at all costs that's mm -hmm. what they want because they need to have that face-to-face -face physical um event occurring so that they can then begin the child abuse process from there Right. And that could be anything. That could be coercive control. That could be yes. beatings. Who knows? It's usually, it starts out with that emotional coercive control, psychological abuse type of settings or, you know, and they, they dazzle them with compliments and validation and stuff first. So it's a progress, you know, a process really to, to do that. But they're, they're establishing trust where trust is broken. So if you have a, a broken family trust dynamic, it's the kids are more vulnerable towards uh, predators. Not that not to say that every kid is going to end up engaging with a predator, but they're more vulnerable to them. And as adults, they're more vulnerable to catfish or different types of scams, mm -hmm. you know, as they get older. But right now, and one thing I want to bring up about predators is according to the FBI, there are over 500,000 predators online at any given time in the United States. So 500,000 predators it may seem like a big number. It may not seem like that big of a number, but if we look at our latest census from 2020, there were 74 million children under the age of 18 in the United States. So let's divide those numbers. 74 million children and 500,000 predators leaves 148 kids for each predator to make contact with. That is a scary number. Mm -hmm. That scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Because it is so easy to make contact in a chat room or on Facebook or in TikTok. There's so many platforms that parents don't even know their kids are using. Mm -hmm. So it's totally feasible that nearly every kid has had at least some type of contact with an online predator. Maybe they shot it down. Maybe they didn't touch any, they didn't click on a link. They didn't engage in the chat. And you know, hopefully that's the case, but it only takes a little vulnerability for them to kind of be siphoned into that world. So 148 kids eat for each predator. Now think about the predator um, is not an isolated one person, you know, sitting behind a computer screen. This is a network of people. They have their own community and it's so big that they actually have their own type of like dark web and they share information. They share profiles, they share their manual and their manual actually will teach them how to effectively groom a child so that they can meet in real life. And then what do you do from there? So this stuff they're sharing back and forth and they celebrate what they consider wins, because if you think about the online predator, and this is something I do now is thinking about how predators think, how they operate so that I can teach parents the, those red flags to look for. And then they, you know, we can teach children. But if you think about, um, <laughs> I just kind of lost my truck there for a second. Um, if you think about how they operate, they are going to build a profile on whatever they're finding online. So if we're sharing all this information about kids online, photos of them, where they go to school, what their birthdays mm -hmm. are, all that stuff can be put into a profile. And then that, let's say demographically, they're not in the same area or same location as the child, that's okay because they can just sell or trade that profile to someone who is local to that kid. Oh, that's creepy. Isn't that creepy? That's creepy. So this is what we're facing with. We're being, and until we get parents involved in fighting against these types of online crimes, mm -hmm. the average person, and don't, you don't even have to be a parent to fight against this. Just knowing how to protect your own data and your own privacy will improve our cybersecurity 
um, they call it, they, they basically call it like your attack vector or your cybersecurity posture. Um, it, it just increases cybersecurity overall because we can then take that, what we've learned in our home world, that can transfer into our business world where it doesn't work the same way on the reverse. So you're learning how to protect data at work. It doesn't usually transfer to how to protect data at home because you don't even have the same systems to begin with. So it's really different, two different worlds. So my focus is teaching that average person at home how to be safer online, what things that they can do um, to protect themselves, their home networks, their devices, and their children from from these online dangers. What about these Faraday bags that people talk about? What do you think how of those? They, how are they bringing in the Faraday bags when it comes to online protection? Because anytime your device is on and you take it out of the Faraday bag, all bets are off. There's no protection. So it's not really protecting the person. It's only yeah. protecting a device. And that's only from those, you know, being attacked by, you know, the, the, the um, drawing a blank on what they're called, the, the, the magnetic fields, electromagnetic <laughs> fields. So that's the purpose of a Faraday. Mm -hmm. And it's just to keep it from basically frying the components of a computer or smartphone, a watch, a refrigerator. You know, we have so many electronic devices these days with little mini computers in them. It will basically fry that. So the Faraday is only protecting against that. It has nothing to do with being safe online. Okay. Because I think some people have that maybe confused. They, they think uh, if they put that over their router, then... Um, no one can see what is going on in their computer. No, it's only going to protect that router from, you know, against the, the electromagnetic rays or um, whatever that's called. <laughs> yeah. What they need to protect their router is they really need to, one, there's a couple things that I start people off with. The very first thing that people need to do is when your ISP brings in this router and they put it on your shelf or wherever you have it, and they hook you to the internet, you are using a default password for that router and the, the user ID is always admin. So all I need to do is figure out what the password is. So then the next step is one, you gotta change that password. It can't, you can't use that default password because with your Wi-Fi signal and what's, what is called a, a SID, it's basically what the name is. So when mm -hmm. you, hook up your internet, you have to know what the name is of your internet so you can connect your phones and all that, right? You can detect it. That name needs to change and also your Wi-Fi password needs to change because all of this is stamped on your modem or router itself, which means that stuff is available for anybody and it's actually available on the dark web itself. So if I can determine what type of router you have, all I need to do is go look up that default password list and I can sit there and brute force try to attack that router and get access to your home Wi-Fi. So mm -hmm. that Faraday cage is not going to protect you from that. Mm -hmm. If I can break in through your Wi-Fi signal or if I can walk in and get access to your your modem because all I have to do is take it off the take off the Faraday, look at the modem, take a picture of it and I can still I can still access your network. So that does not have anything to do with keeping that router safe at all. Well, that well, that's interesting. That because I, I never knew that, and I'm sure there's a lot of things even parents don't know. And you know, what if the child or teen is showing the parent something suspicious, or I don't know. Um, what what should these parents be doing? Yeah, that's a great question because those couple of things that I just mentioned are really the, the very initial things to do that will help significantly increase your home security when it comes to accessing the internet. The next thing they need to do is have antivirus installed on their devices and use a VPN, which is a virtual private network. Mm -hmm. That virtual private network encrypts the communication that you're having with say like a bank. So if you wanted to log into your bank, your communication with the bank is, is encrypted so nobody can see what your dollar amount is or anything like that. So VPN 
is what really is the Faraday cage electronically. So if you want to use something like that Faraday cage, then I suggest making sure you have a very robust and not free version of antivirus <laughs> yeah. and use that VPN. That mm -hmm. VPN is really, really the strongest thing you have when it comes to that and, and keeping things private. But you start with those, those few things right there is where we got to start. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it's with the, with the cyber bullying, would a parent also go to the, the school and report this as well? Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a couple of things that you can do with cyber bullying is one, don't delete anything mm -hmm. and, because if you delete it, then you're deleting all your evidence. So you need to document everything and parents really need to teach their children this as well. So when a child comes to you and they're bringing up the fact that something's going on, the worst thing a parent can do is like, oh, it'll fly over. It's just a phase mm. or ignoring them, not helping them. They're coming to you for help. They need help. They need you to listen. They need you to validate their concerns and their fears. And then they need you to help them but they don't necessarily want you to help them by saying, I'm going to call the school tomorrow or I'm going to call their parents. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to call that person out. I'm going to do things. Your kid doesn't necessarily want you to do that, mm -hmm. but what you can do that will help them. And it actually teaches them how to do that. So this is a healthier way of teaching them how to deal with the conflict mm -hmm. is document everything, take screenshots, make sure you have dates and times, you know, everything that you can gather on that, you know, what username were they using this time? Did they switch and use a different username? And how did you connect that those are the same person? There's all kinds of things that you've really got to pay attention to because the attacks may not be multiple people. If it seems like it, it might just be one person that's switching between different profiles mm -hmm. and you, mm -hmm. you know, listening to the behavior, watching the, those patterns. That's why we take screenshots because I don't expect anybody out there to know those signs. But if you've got this information collected when it's investigated, they might notice those those behaviors. So mm -hmm. document everything. Don't delete it. Make sure it stayed there. You can block the person. That's that's the best thing to do, um, not to respond to them, because once you respond, they know that they've tapped into some kind of emotion on you mm -hmm. and their whole goal is to exploit that. So you don't want to respond to cyber bullies. You don't want to say, get, you know, as soon as you do that, you just open up a whole nother can of worms and it, it's an invitation for them to continue. So you, the sooner you shut it down, the better. And mm -hmm. teaching your kids that just because someone online says something about you doesn't mean it's true and it doesn't mean everybody else out there believes the same thing. And sometimes we have to really help them navigate around that <clears throat> because if they think one person does or there's a bunch of people that jumped on their bandwagon and it just seems like it's super heavy, there's 2.8 billion people on Facebook. And if a hundred people are being cruel and mean to somebody, mm -hmm. that's where we have to help the kids understand the perspective of that. So it's not everybody that thinks this way. It's just this group of, of mean people. And when we, I know sometimes we don't want to label people with things, mm -hmm. but in this circumstance, we kind of do, we kind of have to help the kids understand, this is a mean person mm -hmm. and I don't need to get any credence into someone that's mean. Mm -hmm. Anytime someone is lashing out and thinking they know more than someone else on a post, we see it all the time as adults. Even there is no need to give them any credibility. Mm -hmm. There's no need to even respond to them. Don't breathe life into it, but make sure you're documenting. Don't respond. Don't delete the evidence. You can block that person so that they can't continue to contact you, but also recognize, new friend requests because they mm -hmm. usually come back. <laughs> they usually yes. find another way to reconnect with you somehow. So you're going to have to start being really focused on who you're accepting into your circle of friends on social media and fewer is more. When you have fewer friends that are quality, that's mm -hmm. always better. And if you want your friends to see something you're doing, the best way to do that on social media, especially Facebook, is to not have thousands of friends because they're not going to show it to the friends you want to see it. They're going to mm -hmm. show it to anybody else out there that might have the same type of settings on their Facebook group. So <clears throat> having fewer friends is actually going to be better for you in the long run than it was yeah. is to have the number 
So it's not quantity, it's quality. We have to teach kids the difference between those two things. Yeah. And then this, the other things you need to do is you, you need to, you need to work with your child so that they're comfortable with you bringing this up. If you know it's someone from school, then you need to bring it up to the school officials and you need to report it to law enforcement. Yes. Because if you don't, they're getting away with it and you're going to keep doing it to someone else. Mm-hmm. So, now we, we had talked earlier. Yes. Oh yes. We had talked earlier um, before this podcast about um, it was a teen posting just a high school sweatshirt oh. but not showing her face so she was yes. trying to be safe this but... was an investigation that was done by a law enforcement friend of mine that shared this story and i i call this girl jenny and i share jenny's story quite often because it's so important to see how even though how it doesn't matter how careful you are there's still ways to mm-hmm. get close to you so for example my investigator was in chat rooms looking for online predators, child child abusers. And when he's in this chat room, he noticed Ginny and he liked how she was responding to mm-hmm. questions that people were, were asking her. And she never provided personal identifiable information, which is PII. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't giving them information and she was really good at deflecting or diverting that question so that she never had to really answer it. And he was quite, you know, really impressed with her. So he always kind of like, you know, was when he was in rooms with her and stuff, they would always chat a little bit. They were somewhat friendly to each other. He didn't mm-hmm. overdo it. He just kind of kept his distance, but he was really impressed with the fact that she was really cautious. It was evident to him that her parents had really taught her how to be safer online and felt comfortable with her being in these rooms. Mm-hmm. So one day, Someone, um, she had on Facebook, she had posted a picture of her wearing her school jersey, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it didn't show her head. So it was only like from her shoulders down, but it did show the school jersey. It didn't say what school. It just had a, a it, you could tell it was a sports jer- jersey that she played soccer and then there was a number 10 on it. So that's all the information you really had on her. So you couldn't identify her if you went into a park or if you walked up to a school, you wouldn't know, you know, what school to approach her. And, you know, so the, the information was very, very, very vague. Mm-hmm. She never showed or shared where she lived. She didn't share what school she went to even when she was asked because she made a comment about how she was going to have a big soccer game over the weekend. And someone's like, oh yeah, what school do you play for? And she wouldn't answer that. Mm-hmm. But she did feel confident that it was okay to share the opposing school that she was playing against. Mm. So this got my law enforcement guy's attention thinking, I wonder if there's information that with just that little bit of information, can I find out enough? Can I do anything with that? So he did. He called the opposing school and he asked them, who are you playing on Saturday? And they told him. And he found out that he actually lives close. So he drove out of town to attend this game that he was playing. Now, when he walks out there into the field and into the the stadium or wherever it was they're playing, maybe in a field, Mm -hmm. all he had to do was find the opposing school and look for the number 10 on the other team. As soon as he found that, he knew exactly who she was. And that's all he needed to do to find her. So mm-hmm. now he knows who she is. He was able to find her based off of a picture that did not show a face and the opposing school that she was playing against on a soccer game. Those are so vague and so off the wall that he remembered the photo. And, you know, so this is what predators are doing. They're creating profiles. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how he's thinking about it, too. He didn't know exactly what to do, but he ended up deciding to follow her home because he watched as she after the game she met with her parents he was able to follow her home and then he had to decide what do I do with this information now because she was so careful Mm -hmm. do I say anything and if I don't what could happen next what if I was a predator and I'm sitting in this car out in front of their house what what do they need to know Mm -hmm. so he did decide to knock on the door and he told them how First, he started with how careful Jenny was, that they really did a good job 
in helping her to be as safe as she possibly could online. But even, even so, it still was not enough to keep someone from standing at their door, knocking on it, saying, hey, I'm here for Jenny. Mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it was such an important lesson that, you know, think about what we are posting online. Mm-hmm. We're showing where we're eating. We show where we take our kids to a park. Mm-hmm. We show pictures of our kids, full face and everything. We tell when their birthdays are. You know, this is all information. Remember back when we were kids or maybe when our kids were little, you didn't want to put their name on their backpack. You didn't want to put anything visible because that mm-hmm. just gave people information. We're yeah. doing that electronically already. We're doing that now. Mm-hmm. We're putting so much information, more than we would have put in our kids' backpack back in the day. Mm-hmm. Because now it's all out. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> yep. But uh, still on Facebook and Instagram, people are continuing to post their child's picture, and it's so dangerous in so many ways. It is. And I don't know if why what why they keep doing when warned. Well, and I think we think it's innocent because we have. We're not, we're not sharing, like maybe we're not sharing their last name or maybe we're not saying exactly their birth date. But when I do social media security assessments, mm-hmm. I can uncover all of that. I'm thinking, I'm going in looking at it as what is a predator looking for? And when I can come out and hand you a report that says who your mother and fathers are, who your brothers and sisters are, who your kids are, who their kids are, all of their birth dates, because you might say, happy birthday to my son. He's 10. Now I know mm-hmm. where he was born. Mm-hmm. You know, all this information that you're putting out there that <clears throat> seems innocent by itself. When I combine that with everything I can find on your Facebook profile, I can hand you your hand, your family tree. Mm-hmm. And I can almost send you everything except maybe a social security number. I can figure out where you live, what kind of car you drive, what are your preferences, where do you like to eat, what do you eat. Mm-hmm. I can tell you a lot about you based off of the all of the information that you are posting mm-hmm. and that that's building a profile and that information can be detrimental when I know exactly where you go on Tuesdays at noon for mommy daughter playdates. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems innocent. It seems great. I'd love to be able to share this kind of stuff. You just have to share it in a closed group with this only a certain amount of friends that are part of that. And we have friends lists. Facebook actually provides us with an ability to create friends lists. Mm-hmm. So we have the, the ability to close everybody out. We just don't select that. We don't, we're not using that. But we've got, when we accept friend requests from people we've never met, we don't know exactly who they really are. And Catfish is a whole, we've got to have a show on Catfish. Oh, we will. I get it all the time. <laughs> I see Catfish requests constantly, constantly. And we're just accepting them because why not? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want more friends. I want to look like people like me. So, and they think quality or quantity is what shows that. But we don't know. There's no way you can know. If you had a hundred friends on Facebook, I might believe it. If you were living in the same town, you went to school and you just never moved out. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, is people that maybe okay you could add a few more because you've worked at a couple different places and you've been yeah. with a few more friends but you're not talking about more than 150 people at at the most that mm-hmm. you actually know that you would want on your facebook account yeah it, it's just so it's just so scary out there you know for parents to you know just be mindful of what they're posting it can get out of hand as it did with that case with Ginny. Yeah. So innocent. And, and she did exactly what she was told. She did. She followed her parents' instructions to the letter. And she still was able to put too much information out there. That's scary. Right. It is. It is. And um, I'm going to have you back on the podcast. Uh, you're coming back on, I think, in about less than two weeks. Yeah, I think so, yep. <laughs> Is there any 
really good piece of advice you could give a parent who's listening on either cyberbullying or just um, just don't post all this stuff? Yeah, <clears throat> we've got to stop posting about private and personal stuff. And I, I think we need to stop posting pictures of our kids. At least, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a blurred picture or nothing that shows their face ever and mm. nothing that identifies them with a, a number. <laughs> right. Like yeah. Um, because if I end up going to the park where you said you're going to meet on every Tuesday at noon, then I can identify your kid just by looking at the photo you posted online. Mm -hmm. So we can't put any kind of facial recognition type of material on the internet. Mm -hmm. So you're, you should never post a full front picture of your kid without blurring it. And unfortunately it's sad that we have mm -hmm. to do this. And I mm -hmm. wish that we didn't because we wouldn't do that to a scrapbook, right? Right. We wouldn't blur their face out, but you don't know what's on the other side of this monitor. We're looking at this monitor here. Mm -hmm. That's all we see. And I can see you across the screen from me. But I don't see the potential amount of people that are watching this podcast or who's watching my social media accounts or my YouTube channels. We don't see that. So it doesn't seem significant or important, but it really is because and here's an analogy I use. When my kids were little, they could play in certain areas outside. Mm -hmm. So for example, when they were toddlers, they could play on the patio or the porch with me sitting right there. Right. Right. But they couldn't go anywhere else. I didn't let them out into the yard. When they got a little older, they could play in the backyard with me sitting there. Mm -hmm. When they got a little bit older than that, they might be able to play out in the backyard a little bit more alone, but I might be peeking out a window. So these are boundaries that we set as parents, right? Because mm -hmm. we want to keep our kids safe when they're playing outside. Right. So when they get a little older and they learn how to ride a bike, how far do you let them ride your bike? their bike? You let them ride it in the driveway, in the cul-de-sac, mm -hmm. up and down this side of the street on the sidewalk, around the block, across the street, downtown. You know, how far do we let kids ride their bikes and at what age is appropriate? And then how, how old do they need to be to go hang out with friends downtown mm -hmm. and without your supervision whatsoever? So if we see these kinds of gradual age appropriate types of settings, why are we not setting that on our internet? Because right. when you set your kid down in front of this monitor, they're not on their front porch. They're not in their backyard. They're not even in their front yard. They're not even downtown. Mm -hmm. They're anywhere around the world at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And that you don't know who their audience is. So you can't say, okay, well, I know my neighborhood and I've got neighbors down here and neighbors down there and they all, we all watch our kids. Mm -hmm. That's not the case when it comes to being online. You might have right. friends that watch them on Facebook, but who's watching them on TikTok? Mm -hmm. So it's so much more difficult to do this online and the, and the internet is not a babysitter, a pacifier. Remember when they used to complain about kids and TV? Yep. Like, oh, your TV's just a pacifier. Mm -hmm. I take the TV over this any day when it comes to keeping kids safe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I agree. Pop a movie in. And... Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, if anyone has any questions for you, how can they reach you? They can reach me on most social media platforms, Facebook, TikTok, um, YouTube. If you just do a search for Don McCarty, it comes up. Um my TikTok or my uh, face, good grief. My YouTube channel is actually youtube.com forward slash Don McCarty. Very simple. Um, Facebook is I am Don McCarty. Same with LinkedIn. And TikTok and Twitter are both at Don McCarty. Um, so I think if you typed in Don McCarty, you'd at least be able to see my, I, use, I try to use the same image on all of them. Um, and I'm, I took, I don't have a lot of videos on YouTube yet about cybersecurity. I'm starting to redo them all because mm -hmm. I changed the way I'm, I'm teaching. So mm -hmm. I'm not just lecturing it or just giving information. Now I'm tying it to stories like I kind of shared um, today so mm -hmm. I can help make it a little bit more, um, personal, understandable, relatable, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm in the process of revamping everything. Well, I'm sure you would have to because technology changes so quickly as well mm -hmm. yep definitely so there's so much 
if I teach just Facebook, that only applies to Facebook because Facebook doesn't have the same security settings that TikTok has, for example, or, mm-hmm. or YouTube. And, and then the parental controls, what do you use? It's an overwhelming arena for me to navigate around. I can imagine how overwhelming it is for parents that aren't tech savvy and really don't know what to do or how to do it. And thinking of cybersecurity is so overwhelming in itself. Like I don't, you know, I can imagine just saying, I don't want to know all that. It's just too much. And I get that, but that's why I'm here. I, I make cyber simple and mm-hmm. I try to teach you in ways that you don't really feel like you're a cybersecurity professional or you're right. an industry professional at all. Just enough to know how to protect your family. Very so everybody needs to know cybersecurity. Everybody is entitled to being safe online. Doesn't matter which demographic group you are in or a part of. We all deserve to be safe online. We all deserve to not be stalked, harassed, or bullied online. We all, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things we can go in and talk about those. Areas. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we will. <laughs> There's so much. There's just it's an it's never ever ending. I have, I have more material than I'll probably ever be able to get out in my lifetime. I'm gonna try, but well, it's there's so much to get out there. And then as soon as you get it out there, it changes. So, you know, we just right. have to try and keep up with it the best. But I'm I'm opening my mouth. I'm out here sharing this information. Mm-hmm. You know, I do have, I have different levels of trainings available. So you can always reach out to me in Messenger or through LinkedIn, Facebook, wh- whichever platform mm. is you prefer. And I also have a linked tree, mm. um, which is I am Don McCarty. If you go to Linktree, link dot T or it's link TR dot. Is it EE? Now I have to look it up. It's so long since I've touched it. Uh, anyway, if you just, if you do the link tree um, information, then you can find me under I am Don McCarty. I also have a website at www.securingeverything.com. That's the name of my company. And that's what I'm out here trying to do is secure as much as I can. <laughs> Helping yes. everybody securing their everything, right? Because their kids yes. are everything. Their jobs are everything. Their finances are everything. Their safety is everything. So that, that's the name of that. And then, um, yeah, they'll be able to contact me there as well. There's a form at the bottom of that webpage that they can send in. Um, sign up for the newsletter and then we can be in contact there. Thank you so much. And I'm going to have you back on soon. (laughs) So this is uh, kind of like a, a a spin of the dial. We talked about a lot and we can zero in a little bit more on, you know, on certain, certain topics and kind of get a little more granular on it, especially depending on if you get questions from your audience. Oh yes. And then we can tailor and customize these conversations to, to answer their questions. Thank you so much. Uh, don't jump off. Slam the gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Don McCarty in the future, very soon future, and other exciting guests. Thank you very much, Don. Oh, it was my pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to just be able to share some of this information with your guests and I appreciate you for bringing me on so thank you so much and you'll be back <laughs>